Phase One, Chapter Five of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, the haggling business, which had mainly depended on the horse, became disorganized forthwith. Distress, if not penury, loomed in the distance. Derbyfield was what was locally called a slack-twisted fellow. He had good strength to work at times but the times could not be relied on to coincide with the hours of requirement, and having been unaccustomed to the regular toil of the day labourer, he was not particularly persistent when they did so coincide. Tess, meanwhile, as the one who had dragged her parents into this quagmire, was silently wondering what she could do to help them out of it, and then her mother broached the subject. "'We must tighten the ups with the downs, Tess,' said she, and never could your high blood have been found out at a more cold-for moment you must try your friends do you know that there is a very rich mrs d'urberville living on the outskirts of the chase who must be our relation we must go to her and thank in and ask for some help in our trouble i shouldn't care to do that says tess if there is such a lady would be enough for us if she were friendly not to expect her to give us help you could win her round to do anything my dear besides perhaps there's more in it than you know of i've heard what i've heard good now the oppressive sense of the harm she had done led tess to be more deferential than she might otherwise have been to the maternal wish but she could not understand why her mother should find such satisfaction in contemplating an enterprise of, to her, such doubtful profit. Her mother might have made inquiries and have discovered that this Mrs. D'Urberville was a lady of unequal virtues and charity, but Tess's pride made the part of the poor relation one of particular distaste to her. "'I'd rather try to get work,' she murmured. Derbyfield, you can settle it, said his wife, turning to where he sat in the background. If you say she ought to go, she will go. I don't like my children going and making themselves beholden to strange kin, murmured he. I'm the head of the noblest branch of the family, and I ought to live up to it. His reasons for staying away were worse to test than her own objection to going. Well, as i killed the horse mother she said mournfully i suppose i ought to do something i don't mind going and seeing her but you must leave it to me about asking for help and don't go thinking about her making a match for me it is silly very well said tess observed her father sententiously who said i had such a thought asked joan I fancy it is in your mind, mother, but I'll go. Rising early next day, she walked to the hill-town called Shaston, and there took advantage of a van which twice in the week ran from Shaston eastward to Chaseborough, passing near Trantridge, the parish in which the vague and mysterious Mrs. Derbyville had her residence. Tess Derbyfield's route on this memorable morning lay amid the north-eastern undulations of the vale in which she had been born 
and in which her life had unfolded. The veil of Blackmore was to her the world, and its inhabitants the races thereof. From the gates and stiles of Marlott she looked down its length in the wandering days of infancy, and what had been mystery to her then was not much less than mystery to her now. She had seen daily from her chamber window towers villagers' faint white mansions, above all the town of Shaston standing majestically on its height, its windows shining like lamps in the evening sun. She had hardly ever visited the place, only a small tract, even of the vale and its environs being known to her by close inspection. Much less had she been far outside the valley. Every contour of the surrounding hills was as personal to her as that of her relatives' faces. But for what lay beyond, her judgment was dependent on the teaching of the village school, where she had held a leading place at the time of her leaving, a year or two before this date. In those early days she had been much loved by other of her own sex and age, and had used to be seen about the village as one of three, all nearly of the same year, walking home from school side by side, Tess the middle one, in a pink-print pinafore of a finely reticulated pattern, worn over a stiff frock that had lost its original colour for a nondescript tertiary, marching upon long stalky legs in tight stockings which had little ladder-like holes at the knees, torn by kneeling in the roads and banks in search of vegetable and mineral treasures, her then earth-coloured hair hanging like pothooks, the arms of the two outside girls, resting round the waist of Tess, her arms on the shoulders of the two supporters. As Tess grew older and began to see how matters stood, she felt quite a Malthusian towards her mother for thoughtlessly giving her so many little sisters and brothers when it was such a trouble to nurse and provide for them. Her mother's intelligence was that of a happy child. Joan Durbeyfield was simply an additional one and that not the eldest to her own long family of waiters on providence. However, Tess became humanely beneficent towards the small ones, and to help them as much as possible, she used, as soon as she left school, to lend a hand at haymaking or harvesting on neighbouring farms, or by preference at milking or butter-making processes, which she had learned when her father had owned cows and being deft-fingered, it was a kind of work in which she excelled. Every day seemed to throw upon her young shoulders more of the family burdens, and that Tess should be the representative of the Derbyfields at the Durbeville mansion came as a thing of course. In this instance it must be admitted that the Derbyfields were putting their fairest side outward. She alighted from the van at Trantridge Cross, and ascended on foot a hill in the direction of the district known as the Chase, on the borders of which, as she had been informed, Mrs. Durbeville's seat, the slopes, would be found. It was not a manorial home in the ordinary sense, with fields and pastures, and a grumbling farmer, one of whom the owner had to squeeze an income for himself and his family by hook or by crook. It was more, far more, a country house built for enjoyment pure and simple, with not an acre of troublesome land attached to it, beyond what was required for residential purposes, 
and for a little fancy farm kept in hand by the owner and tended by a bailiff the crimson brick lodge came first in sight up to its eaves in dense evergreens tess thought this was the mansion itself till passing through the side wicket with some trepidation and onward to a point at which the drive took a turn the house proper stood in full view it was of recent erection indeed almost new and of the same rich red colour that formed such a contrast with the evergreens of the lodge far behind the corner of the house which rose like a geranium bloom against the subdued colours around stretched the soft azure landscape of the chase a truly venerable tract of forest land one of the few remaining woodlands in england of undoubted primeval date wherein druidical mistletoe was still found on aged oaks and where enormous yew trees not planted by the hands of man grew as they had grown when they were pollarded for bows all this sylvan antiquity however though visible from the slopes was outside the immediate boundaries of the estate everything on this snug property was bright thriving and well kept acres of glass houses stretched down the inclines to the copses at their feet everything looked like money like the last coin issued from the mint the stables partly screened by austrian pines and evergreen oaks and fitted with every late appliance were as dignified as chapels of ease on the extensive lawn stood an ornamental tent its door being towards her simple tess derbyfield stood at gaze in a half-alarmed attitude on the edge of the gravel sweep her feet had brought her onward to this point before she had quite realized where she was and now all was contrary to her expectation i thought we were an old family but this is all new she said in her alert artlessness she wished that she had not fallen in so readily with her mother's plans for claiming kin and had endeavoured to gain assistance nearer home the d'urbervilles or stoke d'urbervilles as they at first called themselves who owned all this were a somewhat unusual family to find in such an old-fashioned part of the country parson trim had spoken truly when he said that our shambling john d'urbervilles was the only real lineal representative of the old d'urberville family existing in the country or near it he might have added what he knew very well that the stoke d'urbervilles were no more d'urbervilles of the true tree than he was himself yet it must be admitted that this family formed a very good stock whereon to regraft a name which sadly wanted such renovation when old mrs simon stoke latterly deceased had made his fortune as an honest merchant some said money-lender in the north he decided to settle as a countryman in the south of england out of hail of his business district and in doing this he felt the necessity of recommencing with a name that would not too readily identify him with the smart tradesman of the past and that would be less commonplace than the original bold stark words conning for an hour in the british museum the pages of works devoted to half-extinct obscured and ruined families appertaining to the quarter of england in which he proposed to settle he considered that d'urberville looked and sounded as well as any of them 
and d'urberville accordingly was annexed to his own name for himself and his heirs eternally yet he was not an extravagant-minded man in this and in constructing his family tree on the new basis was duly reasonable in framing his intermarriages and aristocratic links never inserting a single title above a rank in strict moderation on this work of imagination poor tess and her parents were naturally in ignorance much to their discomfiture indeed the very possibility of such annexations was unknown to them who supposed that though to be well favoured might be the gift of fortune a family name came by nature tess still stood hesitating like a bather about to make his plunge hardly knowing whether to retreat or to persevere when a figure came forth from the dark triangular door of the tent it was that of a tall young man smoking he had an almost swarthy complexion with full lips badly moulded though red and smooth above which was a well-groomed black moustache with curled points though his age could not be more than three or four and twenty despite the touches of barbarism in his contours there was a singular force in the gentleman's face and in his bold rolling eye well my beauty what can i do for you said he coming forward and perceiving that she stood quite confounded never mind me i am mr d'urberville have you come to see me or my mother this embodiment of a d'urberville and a namesake differed even more from what tess had expected than the house and grounds had differed she had dreamed of an aged and dignified face the sublimation of all the d'urberville lineaments furrowed with incarnate memories representing in hieroglyphic the centuries of her family's and england's history but she screwed herself up to the work in hand since she could not get out of it and answered i came to see your mother sir i'm afraid you cannot see her she is an invalid replied the present representative of the spurious house for this was mr alec the only son of the lately deceased gentleman cannot i answer your purpose what is the business you wish to see her about it isn't business it is i can hardly say what pleasure oh no why sir if i tell you it will seem tess's sense of a certain ludicrousness in her errand was now so strong that notwithstanding her awe of him and her general discomfort at being here her rosy lips curved toward a smile much to the attraction of the swarthy alexander it is so very foolish she stammered i fear i can't tell you never mind i like foolish things try again my dear said he kindly mother asked me to come tess continued and indeed i was in the mind to do so myself likewise but i did not think it would be like this i came to tell you that we are of the same family as you oh poor relations yes stokes no d'urbervilles ay i mean d'urbervilles our names are worn away to durbeyfield but we have several proofs that we are durbervilles antiquarians hold we are and and we have an old seal marked with the ramping lion on a shield and a castle over him 
and we have a very old silver spoon round in the bowl like a little ladle and marked with the same castle but it is so worn that mother uses it to stir the pea-soup castle argent is certainly my crest said he blandly and my arms are lying rampant and so mother said we ought to make ourselves be known to you as we've lost our horse in a bad accident and are the oldest branch of the family very kind of your mother i'm sure and i for one didn't regret her step alec looked at tess as he spoke in a way that made her blush a little and so my pretty girl you've come on a friendly visit to us as relations i suppose i have faltered tess looking uncomfortable again well there's no harm in it where do you live what are you gave him brief particulars and responding to further inquiries told him that she was intending to go back by the same carrier who had brought her it is a long while before he returns past tantridge cross supposing we walk around the grounds to pass the time my pretty cuz tess wished to abridge her visit as much as possible the young man was pressing and she consented to accompany him he conducted her about the lawns and flower-beds and conservatories and thence to the fruit-garden and greenhouses where he asked her if she liked strawberries yes said tess when they come they are already here d'urberville began gathering specimens of the fruit for her handing them back to her as he stooped and presently selecting a specially fine product of the british queen variety he stood up and held it by the stem to her mouth no no she said quickly putting her fingers between his hand and her lips i would rather take it in my own hand nonsense he insisted and in the slight distress she parted her lips and took it in they had spent some time wandering desultorily thus tess eating in a half-pleased half-reluctant state whatever d'urberville offered her when she could consume no more of the strawberries he had filled her little basket with them and then the two passed round the rose-trees whence he gathered blossoms and gave her to put in her bosom she obeyed like one in a dream and when she could affix no more he himself tucked a bud or two into her hat and heaped her basket with others in the prodigality of his bounty at last looking at his watch he said now by the time you have had something to eat it will be time for you to leave if you want to catch the carrier to shaston come here and i'll see what grub i can find stoke d'urberville took her back to the lawn and into the tent where he left her soon reappearing with a basket of light luncheon which he put before her himself it was evidently the gentleman's wish not to be disturbed in this pleasant tete-a-tete by the servantry do you mind my smoking he asked oh not at all sir he watched her pretty and unconscious munching through the skeins of smoke that pervaded the tent and tess durbeyfield did not divine as she innocently looked down at the roses in her bosom that there behind the blue narcotic haze was potentially the tragic mischief of her drama one who stood fair to be the blood-red ray in the spectrum of her young life she had an attribute which amounted to a disadvantage just now and it was this that caused alec d'urberville's eyes to rivet themselves upon her it was a luxurious of aspect fullness of growth 
which made her appear more of a woman than she really was. She had inherited the feature from her mother without the quality it denoted. It had troubled her mind occasionally, till her companions had said that it was a fault which time would cure. She soon had finished her lunch. "'Now I am going home, sir,' she said, rising. "'And what do they call you?' he asked, as he accompanied her along the drive till they were out of sight of the house. "'Tess Derbyfield, down at Marlet. And you say your people have lost their horse?' "'I killed him,' she answered, her eyes filling with tears as she gave particulars of Prince's death. "'And I don't know what to do for father on account of it. I must think if I cannot do something. My mother must find a berth for you. But, Tess, no nonsense about Derbyfield only, you know. Quite another name.' "'I wish for no better, sir,' said she, with something of dignity. For a moment, only for a moment, when they were in the turning of the drive between the tall rhododendrons and conifers, before the lodge became visible, he inclined his face towards her as if, but no, he thought better of it and let her go. Thus the thing began. Had she perceived this meeting's import, she might have asked why she was doomed to be seen and coveted that day by the wrong man, and not by some other man, the right and desired one in all respects, as nearly as humanity can supply the right and desired. Yet to him who amongst her acquaintance might have approximated to this kind, she was but a transient impression, half forgotten. In the ill-judged execution of the well-judged plan of things, the call seldom produces the comer. The man to love rarely coincides with the hour for loving. Nature does not often say, See, to her poor creature, at a time when seeing can lead to happy doing, or reply, Here, to a voice cry of, Where, till the hide-and-seek has become an irksome, outworn game. We may wonder, whether at the acme and summit of the human progress these anachronisms will be corrected by a finer institution, closer interaction of the social machinery than that which now jolts us round and along. But such completeness is not to be prophesied or even conceived as possible. Enough that in the present case, as in millions, it was not the two halves of a perfect whole that confronted each other at the perfect moment. A missing counterpart wandered independently about the earth, waiting in crass obtuseness till the late time came, out of which maladroit delay sprang anxieties, disappointments, shocks, catastrophes, and passing strange destinies. When D'Urberville got back to the tent, he sat down astride on a chair, reflecting, with a pleased gleam in his face, and he broke into a loud laugh. "'Well, I'm damned!' What a funny thing! Ha ha ha! And what a crummy girl! End of chapter five.